and those that are online. We are still continuing our series called Unshakable Gospel. It is part three today. Uh, no, part two, I should say. I was ready for part three, but we'll have to wait until next week. But uh, no, this is good. We are going through all of this knowing that God is actually showing us and teaching us many good things about the gospel. And I'm looking forward to what and how he's going to put it together again. Welcome to uh, Living Hope. I'm Pastor Mona Stevens, and I co-lead with my husband, Pastor Glenn. And I want to thank you for coming out today. Today is a wonderful day. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Well, you know, God is here with us. I don't know about you, but I felt his presence during the worship, and I want to thank him for that. Not only do we see his beauty in creation, every time we are out there, we are without excuse. God's beauty is around us. Amen? I don't know about you, but North Shore is gorgeous. I love the North Shore because of the beauty here. But God has been good. He's given us much. I don't know if you've recognized and seen, but my grandchild is here this morning. Yes, first church service. And not you, Israel. So he's going like this. No, not you, but, but uh, yeah. So I want to thank the Lord for everything that he's done for my family. But also, though, I want to thank all of you for praying, for praying during her pregnancy, during her delivery. I want to, I want to thank all the doctors that were there. It was just really a beautiful journey, and now they're starting their new journey as parents. And it's me and Pastor Glenn, we still are pinching ourselves saying, whoa, I can't believe we have a grandchild. And so it's good. God is good. So today I just want to start off with actually praying praying and asking God to come. He's come. He's manifested his presence and just, just touched us very, very gently and with love this morning as the worship was there. But now let's ask him to come and show us and give us new revelation of who he is. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We praise you. We worship you, God. You are good. You are forever faithful, God. Your promises are true, and amen. And yea, and amen, I should say. I know, Lord, that you are here today, and you want to speak to us. So I ask, Lord, that you would diminish me, and that you would be glorified and given all glory today, God. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, just to give me grace, give me sustaining power, and I'm asking for a special touch for those that are hearing this message, that they would be able to understand and have the wisdom to just grab a hold of what you're trying to tell them this day. I'm asking for a move upon their hearts and upon their minds, Lord, with truth, because it is only truth that sets us free. I need you, Holy Spirit. I acknowledge my dependence upon you this day, and I hope that we're all in the same camp today, that we are all saying we acknowledge our dependence on you. And Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Unshakable Gospel Part 2 in Romans 10, 13 is our verse, which says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We know that according to Acts 4, Acts 4, 12, it says that there is no other name but Jesus. And we have the awesome privilege of serving him, of knowing him, of being part of the family. And uh, we need to understand that the heart of being of uh, behind unshakable is based on what we believe. Sometimes we think, if only I had this and this in my life, then I would be unshakable. Unshakable is the inability to be moved despite our circumstances. But you and I know that a lot of times we are greatly moved by our circumstances, greatly moved by the things that are or should not or should be in our lives. And our perspective is definitely challenged, as we saw in the unshakable journey in the month of January, that it's, 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 
It's challenged because I truly believe that sometimes we don't understand the depths of the truth that we've been given through the cross, through this message of the gospel. And that's why there is absolutely nothing more important as a, to a Christian than what the Bible says and refers to as the gospel message, the good news of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. The good news is not only factual, but it's historical. It's recounting real events that really did happen with real places and real places and real people. This good news is also relational, which I mentioned last week, which is a crucial component of walking out our journey of faith. If we do not relate to this truth, which we're going to seek, because today I'm trying to bridge that gap to knowledge, belief, and dependence because just because you know something doesn't mean that you're putting it into practice, beloved. I think we get tricked into believing that as long as I have a lot of knowledge, that means that I believe it enough to depend on it. No, 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 no. No, a lot of us have a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't mean that we depend and rely on it. And this is what I'm going to show you the connection between relating and connecting to the truth that would actually change the way we do life, the way we see life. And so the gospel of Christ is what offers us all that we need to go from one place to another in our lives. So when things do happen, when life happens, God God wants to bring us from this place, and he wants to bring us to where he is. He is for us, not against us. So it could mean that a lot of us have truth. We know that God, the word says that he is faithful and true, and he's trustworthy and merciful and perfect. He is loving. He's forgiving. We can know all that, but it doesn't mean that as we live out life that we can actually walk it. And so I believe that God wants to do something spectacular amongst us today. Growing close, as we heard and as we're going to hear, is cultivating and developing our relationship with God, getting connected to the facts that that that. We need to develop a reliance on the truth of this wonderful gospel. What did this gospel give me? Now, I'm going to go through a few scriptures, but I can be here for hours because it's a never-ending, wonderful truth that could set you and I free. But let me just give you a few scriptures. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then it's for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. And then we go on to Romans 5, 1 and 2, and it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but many of us have no peace because we don't understand that it's already been given to us and our circumstances, our situation, the people that speak into our lives just greatly move us because we have not really related to this truth. And then he says in verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's not when I get everything good and I'm perfect at everything do I stand in this grace. He says now, which do we now stand. So when the enemy comes in, he says, you know, you are such a failure at a Christian. And you say, well, you know, I'm probably not getting it all. But according to the gospel message, I now stand in the glorious grace that will give me the sustaining power I need to move from point A to point B because my God does not lie. 
We need to understand that there is something about this scripture where he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. To know this information but never really understand it is, I believe, the greatest tragedy in the Christian church. To know we have been made right. I have been made right. You know, the only requirement for me to go to heaven is righteousness. But the Bible tells me in Romans 3 that all have sinned. No one has done good. No one fears God. This is what it says in Romans. And yet we understand that through Christ, he purchased all of that. Through Christ, I have been made right with God that no matter what I go through, I know I'm going to heaven. That's my, my, earthly, my uh, heavenly home. But here on earth, how do I make this? How do I, how do I use this? How do I connect that I've gained access to a presence that's greater than myself, that I've gained access by faith into this glorious grace, which is the enablement. Have you ever faced a trial or even going through some suffering and you know you just don't have the strength? You have nothing in you to go through it. Am I the only one that goes through that? And then all of a sudden you remember you've been given access by Jesus through faith to the one presence who can give you all that you need, the wisdom, the discernment, the ability, the the empowerment. And yet we go, yeah, that's all great. But you know, God can't give this to me because, you know, I've sinned too much. Do you understand? I think that's why it's a tragedy. See, he says that we are standing in it right now to know the hope we have been called to, the glorious inheritance, everything that is given to us because we believe. To believe this gospel message, what Christ did on our behalf, should impact our lives every day. When the enemy comes in like a flood with these thoughts that we will never make it, we need to remind him of the hope, that confident expectation that my God will protect me through all things. We need to know that when we go through these things, we have to go back to truth, like our our brother Jason said. When we go through these trials, we have to stop being defined by what we're going through, by what we see, by what we are. And I think every trial, we start off that way. We start off, it's all about the circumstance. And we phoned a friend. And then we we go to the audience and say, what's what's your answer for this? And we go to strangers and we try to get someone, you know, like-minded to give us some advice. And then all of a sudden we think about, oh, wait a minute. What does God say about this in his word? What's my place? What, how do I connect to a truth that would help me navigate and watch? Because, you know, we start like this and then God wants us to do this in our circumstances. This way, God comes in, he floods in, he floods in with his thoughts, his, 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 his purpose, his plan through all of that. And so when we go through this, we should increase in our faith. That means a greater dependence. So you need to ask yourself, since you've known God, is all the truth that you've amassed, has it given you a greater dependence on the God that you follow? Don't answer me. This is a personal question. 
Has your faith given you the ability to actually move from point A to point B? That means you've grown, you've changed, you, you love greater, you, you forgive easier, you, 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 you think differently, your perspective has changed to what you used to know and what he knows, knows about you. And so does, is your dependence, has it grown on God? Or are you still going to your own strength, your own ability, your own, your own, uh, your own things, your own defaults? Faith is, there's three words that go with the word faith, and it's pistis, as we know in Greek. And it means to know, to believe, and to rely. There's three. We only stop at to know. But really, truly, what it means to rely means to depend on confidently, to put trust in trust the word is a firm belief in the reliability the strength and truth of someone now this is what it says here this is timothy keller he says putting our faith in christ is not about trying harder let's say it again putting our faith in christ is not about trying harder it means transferring our trust away from ourselves and resting in him resting in him. But beloved, unless we relate and connect to that truth and bring it to our circumstances and make that the author of how we're going to do life, then we will always, always trust ourselves. And I think there has to be a shift there. So the word connecting here is the next word. Connecting means to become joined to unite, to associate, to link, to fasten together, and to bind. We have two pictures here. All of the cords, all of the different colors, pretty amazing colors. These are all beautiful cords. And I want you to look at the other picture. Do you see how they're intertwined? You know that they just don't do this and jump to this. Something has to be done. Something has to intertwine them together to make them a threefold cord that makes it impossible for us to be moved. But a lot of times we have the truth of God's word and we have it all laid out in front of us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know God is my refuge. He's my strong tower. You even sing a song and you go on. And then all of a sudden, fear grabs a hold of you. All of a sudden, panic is your second name. And all of a sudden, all you can do is be so anxious, you can't even actually see straight. So this is what God's word wants us to to do is that he wants to intertwine all truth. And this is what I'm going to do in a few minutes is I'm going to intertwine some truth. You know, I, I spent all week asking God, oh my goodness, God, what truth did you want me to bring? Because in my life, a lot of these cords came into my life. These, these, these threads that God says, Mona, hold on to it. Trust what I'm giving you. If I'm revealing a truth, what I want you to do is now I need you to intertwine it into your relationship, into your circumstances, into what you're going through. And I will strengthen you. My sustaining power will keep you in the end. But I had to move my trust away from myself and all of my defaults and put it into someone who is so much bigger than mean for us Christians is God. So to join, to bind, when I bind myself to a truth, no matter what I feel or no matter my, what my circumstances are, when, I, when we believe he is who he says he is, that he actually loved us enough to send his son to make us right, to give us peace, to give us power, everything else Everything else that you and I need to live out life is given to us. But do we really, really believe that day in and day out? 
Because if we did, we wouldn't bother going to our defaults. We wouldn't bother going to our coping mechanism. We wouldn't bother going to a whole lot of things to try to control our pain, try to control our circumstances. And so these things just actually provide us a chance to understand God is revealing truth, and now what he wants us to do is to intertwine. Now, intertwine to relate and connect means that I'm going to wait, I'm going to seek, I'm going to actually ask God for a word. And once God, when something is revealed, maybe something will be revealed to you today. What he's going to ask you to is to trust that cord, to trust that truth, and to let God intertwine that in all that you do, that in the end, when you finish your journey in that suffering or in that trial or that difficulty, you come out shining. You come out different. You come out victorious. That's what my scripture says. This is what the word of God says. I am standing in a place of victory. I'm not working for it. But the reason why we don't have victory is that we just see the the truth, but we don't bring it into our lives. We don't make it what we trust in. We make it about us. We encounter the truth of the gospel, which sets us free every day, sets us on the journey to love God deeper, to walk out what he's called us to do. But sometimes we do this in our own strength. Now, Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And when we earnestly seek him, what we do is we, we, we see these cords. We see these different colors of truth that are coming in. And, but they're not just to say, whoa, that ever nice, and you walk away from it. No, you are to take that truth and say, God, how am I going to improve how I like this person? How am I going to go through this horrible evil and I don't know what to do? And all of a sudden, a cord of truth in Romans 14 pops into my head and it says, overcome evil with good. Well, how do I take that truth into what I'm going through with this person who is nasty with me? God says, do the opposite. Overcome evil with good. He's nasty, you're good. He's aggressive, you're gentle. He's unforgiving, you're forgiving. Are you seeing? So I'm taking that cord and I'm bringing it into my life. I'm going to bring this into practice. Why is it that I can do that? Because of the God in me. Why is it that I know that in the end I will become just like Jesus in this situation? I took the cord and I'm intertwining it with my personality where my ways would have been with evil people. Oh, yeah. You pat my back, I'm going to pat yours. Maybe punch it. So we need to understand. We have our ways and we trust our ways, but where is our ways bringing us? Always to the same path, death and destruction. There is a time when we say, God, I am going to connect to truth and obey it, respond to it in a place where I know what you're showing me. You're showing me these courts. Now, earnestly seeking him is about relating, which is about perspective. When God brings a court in, when he brings the truth, he wants your perspective to change. Because when your perspective changes, your attitude changes. When your attitude changes, your values change. When your values change, your 
behavior changes. See, we try to clip off the truth, the the behavior, but we don't actually do the truth. We just want to clip it off because people are watching. But isn't that nasty? Because every time you go around people, the same people, the same result. You're either very aggressive or judgmental or defensive, and you're going, why is it these behaviors are always going? He says, Mona, I've given you truth. I need you to intertwine it with you. And what's going to happen is that I'm going to build the threefold cord in this area. It's going to be so strong, you're going to be sustained. And when you come out, you'll come out different. Does that make sense? Are you sure? There's one amen. Good, I have a thumbs up. I'm going to continue. Having the proper perspective in our circumstances, seeking to find him in all our situations. When, when do we do that? When do we ever practice seeking him in all of our situations? No, we run. We run. We're abandoners by faith, by, by, by nature, I should say. We abandon. We run. Connecting to the truth of our situation is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I might not see the end, but the Lord says in Proverbs that the Lord knows everything and he will bring it to its proven end. Because I trust my father, then whatever proven end he decides, it's okay for me. Because now I've been in the Lord for 31 years and I have done it my way for many, many years. And sin never provides what it promises. Your flesh will say, if you do it this way, you protect yourself this way, you put your wall that way, you do this, that it's going to provide the safety you're looking for. No, if you find security in anything else but God, you will be shaken. So we have a choice. We have a choice. God is who he says he is. What he says about me is true. We heard last, last week that I am his possession. And even though you don't like me, I know someone who does. Isn't that great? And no matter what I do, his love for me is unfailing, everlasting. He is awesome. He keeps his word, and he says to me, you are my gift. You are a masterpiece. So when the enemy says how ugly I am or how unfit I am to do something, I remind him, excuse me, God does not lie. When I take in that cord, when the battle of the enemy comes in and he says, I can't make this, God says, you will because I will be with you. We need to understand that his object His object is truth is placed upon me. It's placed upon you. His grace, his peace, his blessing, that Christ really accomplished all I needed to live out this life victoriously. It is about time, beloved, that we stand and we come back to those cords that he's already showed you. He has showed you much truth because it would be impossible to say that you're following God and God has not revealed something. God speaks and his activity is everywhere, but we're so bound up by our fears and so muddled by our worries and concerns, we cannot hear him. And if we can't hear it, those cords remain untouched. That means that we do the walking in our own strength. There is a simple story in the book of John that displays the simple but powerful faith that God treasures. Jesus passes by a man who has been blind since birth. I think most of you know this this story. It's in John 9. Jesus' disciples ask him a simple but heartbreaking question in John 9 too. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that that he was born blind? They assume that this man's blindness is God's curse on him. 
Either he or his parents must have done something terrible and God has responded by cursing him with blindness. It's amazing how people might believe these things. Jesus replies that neither is the case in this particular situation. God has made this man to be born blind so God could do a great miracle through him. Jesus then does something very unusual and very miraculous. You know the story. He spits spits on the ground and made a mud mud out of his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eye with with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is what we see in John 9, 6 to 7. He went, he washed, and came back seeing. The man is healed, but the story isn't over yet. The religious authorities hated Jesus and are driven mad by envy that he is able to perform miracles such as this one. They refuse to believe that Jesus is actually responsible for this man's healing. Isn't it kind of the same about us sometimes that we refuse to believe that God can take us out of our muddle, that God could deliver us from the bondage of of negative thought patterns and the fear that so consumes us and the selfishness that invades our life? You know, it's amazing how we do question God. And the same thing, he says, maybe it was all a trick. Maybe he isn't actually able to see this man. They call the man in and question him and demanding that he, to, uh, to know how he got his sight restored and who was responsible for his sight. He tells them, this man who was blind in the morning and now he can see, he says, it's Jesus. And they didn't want to believe him, so they kick him out and go and question his parents. Or we're going to go to your parents and make sure that you were really born blind because we don't believe you got a miracle. Still not liking what they hear, they bring the man in the second time and demanded a better answer. And this is what we see in John 9, 24, 25. He says, give, this is the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that say that they know God. Ask him, give glory to God. We know that this man, he's talking about Jesus, is a sinner. The man's response was very simple. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, the thought I was, uh, that thought is that, that though I was blind, now I see. This man does not know much, but he does know this. Earlier that day, he was blind, but now he has perfect sight. That is all he knows for sure, and that is enough for him. Can I say today... That truth that comes to us on a daily basis is not always enough for us, is it? I believe that God is trying to get our attention here today. Many of us have been given these beautiful cords of truth. And we have not sought, we've not taken the cords, we've not relied on it, trust on it, we have not connected to it, we have not walked it out and made that, all that effort because it's to strive to, you know, to, to do this, not in my own strength, but I do know that if I walk true, things will change. As you can see here with this man, he didn't know a whole lot about Jesus, but he knew he believed He not only related to the truth that Jesus could heal, but he connected to it as well. Jesus said to him, after putting the mud over his eyes, go and wash. Do you really believe that he would have done it, went and washed, if he didn't really believe him? Yet here's a man who did not know a whole lot of things, but he still 
did what he was told to do. And I think this is why we don't take our courts. It's because we're asked to do something that we don't want to do. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. True faith is a gift from God. It's characterized by assurance and a conviction, not by blind belief for no reason. When God asks you to take up one of these cords, to take up this truth, he's not asking you for blind faith. He's asking you to believe in who he is for you. Let's walk through what we see in John 9. And we're coming to an end in about 40 minutes. Just in case you guys were falling asleep. Let's walk through what we see in John 9. This man is in need of a miracle. The Bible tells us that it was recorded that the man was blind from birth, and it shows the hopelessness of his condition. Then he says, this man had little info, but Jesus, apart from what he hears and what he saw Jesus do. And then he tells them in verse 7, go wash in the pool. And so he went and washed and came home seeing. John Wesley says this. This is the key. I need you to listen. It says it right here. He said this, he went, he washed, and he came seeing. He believed, he obeyed, and he found a blessing. Do you see this? Had he been wise in his own eyes and reasoned like Naaman did in the Old Testament on the improprieties of the means, many, I can't believe I got to walk all the way down to this pool to get, because he needed to walk to the pool. You knew that it's not close by. He needed his attendant to bring him to this little stream, that pool beside the temple. It wasn't where he was. He needed to move from here to there. I need to take my truth from here to where I'm going. I need to intertwine it with my life. I need to embrace it. I need to ponder. I need to meditate on it. I need to trust it. And so this is what he did. And it's amazing because John Wesley says this, and it's a prayer. And he says, Lord, may our proud hearts be subdued to the methods of thy recovering grace. May we leave thee to the choice and how that you will bestow your favors, which is our highest interest to receive them on any terms. See, we give terms to God. If you do this for me, then I'll do that. And if he doesn't, then you do this. And then you wonder why your house in chaos. We have been given the facts, beloved. So why do we hesitate to believe, to change the way we perceive our situation as if God couldn't help or had already given us everything that we need to walk through the trials that we faced? Why is it that we walk around like there is no God, no strength, no provision, no protection in this place? Why is it that we choose to doubt his faithfulness, his power, his ability to keep his promises? Well, I believe that there are bigger reasons than just not enough knowledge. And I think we see this question, this, that reasons in Hebrews 3, the next verse that we have. We have it up here, Hebrews 3, 7 to 14. It says here, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, if you see the cord, if you see the truth, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion and in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. They saw him work for 40 years, beloved, and they still refused to connect to that truth by responding and obeying. And we know the end of their story, beloved. They never entered in the rest. 
the promise that God had given them. We are people of grace, people of tremendous privilege, but there is a place where we have to say yes to God. We have to take the cord and bring in all of the other things and trust God. Go to the next verse. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Just because you know something, it doesn't mean that you really know it. Next one. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He goes on and he says this. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Which is the opposite of belief, by the way. In departing from the living God. So when we refuse to take up the cord, we literally depart from the very grace, the power, the blessing of his presence. When I say it that way, this kind of ring well, eh? It doesn't taste good in our mouth. And yet we still refuse to let go. We still refuse to respond to the truth that he's asking us to obey. But exhort one another daily why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The greatest sin is that we want to do it our way and not understanding that the cost of our disobedience is tremendous. For we have become partakers. This is the blessing. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. See, every time I take the rope, I'm holding steadfast to the end. Every time I take a rope of that truth, I'm partaking with Christ. And I can because I am his possession. I am his co-heir. I am warmly given all that he's given me. He loves me. I am adopted. I've been given everything that I need. And so we see this verse. We are more defined, beloved, by our circumstances than we are by who God says he is. What, what he says about us and what Jesus did for us. In this story of the man, it shows us that he had little knowledge, but it was enough for him to relate to, to connect to in order to experience his healing. If that man would have said, man, I've got mud on my eyes, and I don't know what this guy's doing, but I'm not going there. He could have said no. He could have went somewhere else, but that man followed the instruction. He took the cord. And because of it, he experienced healing. What about us? How many of us are unbelieving when God shows us a way out? How many of us remain rebellious when revealed what to do? Trust me, I'm in that camp. But you know, I know that I'm under mercy. I know because of his great love, he'll pursue me until I respond, until I pick up the cord and I still, I start intertwining it with my life and my heart and my ways. And at the end, it's his ways and his heart and his ways. It's amazing how he does it. You see, we choose our fears, our ways instead of God's ways. Never experiencing the healing, restoration, the deliverance we all long for here today. See, every time God brings a rope into our, a cord into our life, it's a call to believe. And to believe is not only to know, but to believe and to rely on it. It demands a response, beloved. So let me finish with a simple application of what it would look like if you would believe, obey, so that we can find the blessing. Do you want to find the blessing today? Let me show you facts. See, every time you open the word, every word is breathed by God. It's all factual. But it's not only that. It's real. It's powerful. 
It divides and it gives you all that you need. So the facts, the knowledge of the word. Proverbs 14, 26 this says this, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge. As I was seeking God, I was asking him, can you give me one of the, the, the verses? Because I write it down. I have usually underline a word, uh, you know, the, the year. When God gives me something, it's personal, it's intimate, it's unique, it's for me. And I know that I'm walking that walk with him. And so when I saw this verse today, God, not today, this week I should say, God just opened it up and he showed me. Because you took the cords into your life, every time you were faced with a situation, Every time you did this, I was building a fortress in your life. And because I built that fortress, that fortress became a refuge for your boys. Let me show you how that goes. The, the, the commandment says to this verse, the man who fears the Lord has every reason to have strong confidence. If God is for him, no one nor any circumstances can be successful against him. Now, to relate and connect to that truth in Proverbs 14, it says, those who fear the Lord as to obey and serve him have a strong grounds of confidence and will be preserved. When you see the partaking with Christ, that means I will be sustained with his power to go through whatever journey I need to go through. But it doesn't stop there. In the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. There is a strength. Why? Because they have come to believe. Those that are walking in the fear of the Lord, they come to believe that they, they are well loved by God, that God delights in them, that his eyes is upon them, his heart is towards them. He communicates everything they need to do good. He protects, he defends. And this is where faith comes into play. Will I take the court? Will I embrace it and bring it into my life? Now, throughout my journey of seeking and waiting while my children departed from God. You guys know the story. When they left their faith foundation, when they departed, I remained in God by shifting my eyes back to him to relieve me of my fears. No, do you, don't ever believe that I never had any fears during that journey. It was seven and nine years in compiled with the two boys who had left. If you would have asked me, did you know anything that would this, this would happen? Absolutely not. Were you ever angry with God? There were times I would ask God, but why God? I faithfully served you. Why would my boys just leave you like this? And I went through a lot of the lies of the enemy, but God kept on saying, do you trust me? And then he would give me a cord of truth. And he said, grab a hold of it, rely, depend on it, and I'll bring you out. I will make you stronger than you are now. And little by little, as I responded to him and I obeyed the nudges of God, instead of the nagging fear that came to get me off my path of faith, I became unshakable. Unshakable doesn't mean I know how to do this perfectly. It only means what I am embracing as belief. Who am I believing in? So here I am, every opportunity, turning back and choosing God's wisdom, his way of dealing with the loss I was experiencing with my children. It was intense, it was deep, and I can tell you today that that journey has caused me to see God in a greater light. How about your journey? Has God become greater for you? These are just challenges. These are just things I'm asking you because a lot of times we've been given a lot of different cords of truth, but it doesn't mean that we've believed them or that we relied on them. 
I needed to rely. And little did, did I know that in so doing, God was building a fortress for my family so that when they came to their senses, when my children came to their senses, they would know a refuge like no other. As a parent, I understand when his words would come, and they will, the Lord would always say to you, trust me. I have a choice in the matter, beloved. I can leave all the cords there and do nothing with it, but I could also pick them up and start intertwining them in my situation and in my circumstances, in my fear and in my discomfort and distress. The question is, is when we're faced with this situation, will I believe or not? Will I obey or not? Will I fear the Lord or will I fear the consequences of my choice or will I get in the way of God? I think that was the biggest thing for me. One scripture that really spoke to me is that don't be part of your own children's demises. That means that sometimes we enable our children. Sometimes we're thinking that this is what we need to do, but we haven't spent any time seeking God. We haven't really actually trusted and depended on him to give you wisdom to get through this. No, no, we just think it's the good thing to do. Now, trust me, I've been there. When my son Daniel had been gone for many years at this point, he was suicidal. And it had been three, four months now that he was calling me in the middle of the night saying, Mom, I don't want to live anymore. I realized that everything in me, my mother's heart, wanted to rise up and to give him everything because it just, that's what we do. I'm not saying that I didn't do any of that. I'm not saying I didn't go to, to Moncton and buy him groceries in there, but God never let me rescue him. And thank God that I never did. You know what? Because if I would have rescued him and rescued him, do you really think he would have come to his senses? Do you really think he really needed God? No. All He, he didn't need God because he had me. So I'm not going to be part of God's, you know, the, the, the despising or, or the, the destruction of my own children. And so what I started doing is I started bringing cords of truth in my life. And God, what did you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? And God started telling me, you tell him truth, affirm him. You bring him back to truth. Do what you need to do. I will bring him back. What I did not understand is that all of those years of waiting for God to answer my prayer, I was building a fortress under my feet. I was building a fortress under my children and under my family, under my marriage. And when it came the time when my children came to that place, when they said, I I am so desperate. They knew they needed to come back. But they came back because God built the fortress. But it's because I picked up the cord. I did this and I connected and I related. I trusted it. I depended it. And from that moment on, because of this, my children and my grandchild will always have a refuge. You see, this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with his truth. When God says, my word will not go void, he means it. He says, I will be your child's refuge, but you need to take the cord. You need to obey. You need to respond. You need to do what I'm asking you to do because one day your children will see that you have been unshakable in your truths. Our children, this generation needs to see that connection. They need to see that relationship to truth. But beloved, I'm telling you, I didn't get there overnight. It had to be little by little going after my excessive need to fix things. It was excessive. 
my excessive need to justify when a cord of truth came my way. And God said, if you build this, Monel, you will build in vain. Let it go. Let me do this. For four and a half months, I heard my son weep. My son going into drugs to try to numb the pain. For four and a half months, there were times that the thought that he would take his life was so overwhelming that I could only turn to someone bigger than myself. And every time I took the court, every time I related and I connected to that truth and I believed it and I depended on it, every time what I did not know is that God said, I'm going to build a fortress for your family. And when he comes and he makes that decision, he will make it for the right reasons. He didn't come to the Lord for another two years. He did come home, by the way. He came home to be healed, to that fortress, to the presence of God, because my husband and I had nothing to give him. But you know what? I don't want my children to have me. I want them to have God. Do you really think I'm not part of the plan? You and I are part of God's plan for our children. We are the external strategies that if we're wise, and we connect to truth, I am telling you, God will do an amazing work. Let me finish with this verse. Psalm 91, 14 to 16. This is a mess- messianic ver- uh, scripture, but we can take it as well. It means Jesus, this is all about Jesus. He says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will, you can bank on it, I will deliver you. I will set you on high in a place of safety. Because he has known my name, here it's yada, the word yada. And it means to acknowledge, to know that you know that you know. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You see, obedience is a love problem, beloved. If you cannot respond to those chords, if you don't connect to them, it's a love problem. That means you're loving something more than you're loving God, and God is okay with this today. That's why he's calling out with a voice of grace and mercy. I will not be in God's way, not in his church, not in my family's life, not in my husband's life, but God has given me a voice, and he's giving you a voice too. He's sending you cords day in and day out. And he says, to know me, Mona, is to believe me. To believe me is to trust. To trust is to obey. And to obey is to encounter God's grace. Who needs God's grace today? Two hands. Then I need you, all of you, that recognize that you've been given a lot of courts. See, God doesn't come punishment. Now, when you heard Hebrews 3, it's kind of heavy. But what you don't know about that is that Jesus was sent to give us a greater story. You want a greater story? Is that I don't want my children to remember me. I want them to remember the God I followed. That's the only way. Do you need grace today to 
take up those cords, the truths that he's given you, and to start intertwining, responding, seeking, obeying, and keep on doing it until God does what he said he's going to do. Those cords didn't become intertwined by themselves. We need to pick it up. We need to move on it. And we need to continue to obey until God does what he said he's going to do. See, that's why he hates pride and rebellion, beloved, because we never pick up the cords. And then we say, God, where were you? I have been there all along. Would you take the cord, Diane? Would you respond to it? Israel, would you take the cord? How about you, Nikoi? Would you take the cord? Alex, do you know the truth that he's given you? Would you take it? Conrad, the truth he's been giving you, have you been taking it? Justin, God has been speaking to you, hasn't he? Would you trust and depend on it? How about you, Megan? Instead of walking in fear, would you trust something greater than what you're seeing? Would you take the cord? Would you say, God, I'm going to intertwine that? How about you, Nicole? Gail, God says, come to me. You are under grace. I will give you the sustaining power you need, but you have to respond. You understand that? I responded even in my greatest distress in my wailing. I responded to God and not what I was living. But it, it was a shift all the time. Will you do that today? Will you respond to his voice? Will you respond to truth? You want to build a fortress for your family, beloved, it doesn't happen with disobedience. It happens with obedience. If God is asking you to let go, you better let go. Because if you're building, you are building in vain. But God says, I'll be your watchman. I'll be caring for you. So come. As the music plays, I need you to come by faith and say, God, I'm coming. And I'm embracing that truth that you've been telling me. And if it's just one or two truths that you heard today, and grab a hold of those truths. Push back the enemy's thoughts that you're not good enough or that you haven't actually walked long enough for your, with God or that you haven't been obedient. Yes, the cost is great, but God's grace and forgiveness is there for you. He says, hold on. I will build. You need not to worry. I will build. You just follow me. Will you be willing to follow him today? That's the altar call for you today. That is where it starts for me every day. Will you follow me? Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. And every time I say yes, he builds that fortress. That's how it gets done, beloved. May God bless you.